apocryphal, and I don't mean this in a, in a dumb it down kind of a way, but James is a, is a simple place to, uh, to get some clarity as we uh, consider the closing of the year and the beginning of a new one. I'm going to read uh, James chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 6. We'll read to verse 10 and then we'll pray. But I would be, uh, I'd be remiss if I don't say two things first. One, uh, it is every pastor's nightmare to get sick right before he has to preach. Um, what if... After having done all this prep with just hours to go, I am suddenly struck with some illness now. My wife uh, got in the car with the kids to go to family Christmas Eve, which was not Christmas Eve. They just call it that, you know, so it's just a couple days early. Goes to New Jersey. She's out of the house for 10 minutes and suddenly I'm like, I am sick. Hours later, I'm realizing I'm not going to make it. I texted Stephanie and said... The very clear message, I can't find Jerry, which she then had to message back and forth with me quite a bit to figure out. Because when I get sick, I get like a little infant, like I can't work my phone, I can't put sentences together. She finally gets to the point of, okay, what do you need? And I'm like, I need someone else to preach. John Render was clutch. You were there. You were Jordy Nelson, right? You were, you were right there, so thank you. Second, uh, this morning, my friend Larry Davis is here. He's pastor. I, I, yeah, I'm calling you out. Good morning. Um, uh, he's sitting right there in the back on the, on the edge. Uh, Larry is the pastor of Grace Church in Seaford, where uh, he's been there for a number of years doing some turnaround work in that church. Uh, Larry is an encouragement to me. Uh, he leads bravely. He leads uh, as a team player. He's on the leadership team for our Eastern Baptist Association um, and is the kind of guy who knows when to say, hey, you know, like you need to not do this and do this. And other times say, um, I'm not sure your idea is a great one, but we're going to run with it. Uh, he's he's just a, an encouraging friend uh, and, a, and a great leader. And he told me he was going to come today. And I said, do you want to preach? And he said, no. And I said, I didn't want you to preach anyway. So. <laughs> anyway, no, that's not true. I'd be honored to have him have my pulpit. But he's on vacation this week, so he's going to enjoy. Um, we're going to read James chapter 4. The scripture says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning at the end of this year and at the beginning of a new one. And yes, this is a system that we've invented to mark time, built on what's going on in the sky and in the seasons. And, and so uh, the, the meaning, the deep meaning of it is something that we bring to it, Lord, that, that it's a new Time that, that we're putting away old habits and, and starting fresh. But Lord, we, we thank you for the, the habit 
And the way that the world around us has built up this idea that, that it's a time for resolve and it's a time for renewal and it's a time for thinking and, 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 and deep introspection. And we pray that we would be those who think deeply. We pray that we would be those who think about our relationship with you and not just about the future and not just about uh, shallow things. But that we would think seriously about your goodness and kindness toward us and then how it is that we should act. How we should behave in response to your goodness. Lord, we pray that as we spend this time in your word that we would be encouraged. And we pray that we would see you as you are, as you've revealed yourself in scripture. You are a good, kind, gracious Father, you sent a wonderful Savior. You sent an empowering Spirit. And so we pray that built on this good foundation, we would make decisions not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of joy and excitement for what it is that you have done for us and offered to us, Lord. We thank you for your word and for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The older I get, the more the post-Christmas season becomes a time of calling customer service or technical support. Has anybody had this experience, right? You know, uh, something has gone wrong, right? Whether it's uh, something that you purchased or gave, you know, something that you've had for a long time, something that, um, you know, that, that has gone haywire during the holiday season. You got to call up, you got to call the number, you got to give them the, the serial number, the model number, you got to tell them when you purchase something, you got to go through this whole song and dance in order to get service, right? Um, one of the things that I find over and over in calling customer service, particularly about electronics, is they ask the basic, simple question. It almost seems insulting at times. They say, have you turned it on and off again? <laughs> you know this, right? But, but let, let me, this, is, this is what they call a soft reset, okay? This is, you power it off, right? If it's your phone, if it's your computer, whatever it is, it's got a computer in it. Right now, cars have computers in them. Everything's got some kind of computer system in it that, that at times, believe it or not, it just gets tired, right? Or it gets cluttered and it needs to be turned off and then turned back on again so that it can reset. A new year is kind of like that, isn't it? We have, we have just finished up this race, right? The, the, the fall means back to school. It means all kinds of activity. We've got to rush. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to think about the holidays, right? And then the holidays are kind of like this massive activity time, running here, running there, purchasing, prepping, getting everything ready and perfect. And then the new year comes, and we hopefully breathe this collective sigh or we just race forward but we need a, a we, we need a reset we need a we need a time of renewal and rest now uh, pastor ray pritchard uh, who i don't know i uh, was looking around and and looking for some some basic simple observations or steps and he finds in this passage he says that there are six ways of 
optimizing or renewing your spiritual life, right? Right now, I've got a list on my phone, and it's uh, things around the house that I want to work on, little projects that need to get done, you know, and I've got my little, my list has got the little dots on it that I can check off as I get them done, and then there's like five things I want to get done in my office, and there's like six things that I need to work on at the church. I've got my lists. You'll see them start showing up on Facebook and other places. Six things that you can do to optimize this or fix that or improve this, right? Here's six ways in which we can renew. Here's what I want to avoid as we do this. I want to make sure that as we talk through these six things, that we focus on the major underlying principle. Because there's one big lesson that's threaded through the whole thing. Even though there are six things that we're called to do six steps that we can take. We'll talk about that, but I want to point it out at the very beginning. The beginning of verse six says this, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. And what I fear and am afraid of, what I, what I get concerned about when I, when I look at the lives of, of people around me, and I see this in myself, is that we so often say that renewal or refreshing or getting serious comes with a massive effort. We say, things aren't right because I haven't been doing things right. And so I need to change what I'm doing. I need to get right so that everything will be right. I need to get serious about my health. I'm going to join the gym, right? And then you go there in January. You can't find a treadmill. You can't get to the weight machines. But you didn't wait. Like you, maybe you quit before February when no one's there anymore, right? You know, you, we, we lose out. We miss out because we, we, we're focused on trying. The main principle that threads its way through this section is that he gives more Grace, But there are some mentality shifts that we can make. There are some action steps that we can take based on the fact that his grace will be there and it will be good. So even if we mess up, even if we fail, even if our settings go back to what they were prior to the new year, even if we go back to old habits, we can renew and we can try again. The scriptures tell us for a reason that God's mercies are new every morning. You guys remember Jay Leno when he was the Doritos uh, spokesperson, right? He, his, his motto was crunch all you want. We'll make more, right? You know, that's the way it works with God's mercy and his kindness and his grace. There will always be new, always new, fresh out of the oven, right? You know, we don't have to conserve it and, and pile it up and heap it up and, and, and save it for a rainy day because maybe there won't be any more. Maybe he'll change his mind. He doesn't change, the scripture says. Think about the way that that sentence is written in scripture. You can look it up. The scripture says, he does not change. Therefore, we are not consumed. <laughs> He's gracious. Therefore, we avoid judgment because once he shows grace, his grace remains. Okay, six steps because I could just preach this sermon. I'll just keep going and we'll never get to any of these things. The first setting to change is instead of focusing on growing up or growing better, focus on growing lower. 
Verse 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The first principle of renewal is humility. Humility, that we, that we submit ourselves to the Lord and not to our own standard or to other people's standards, but that we say to the Lord, Lord, I want you to change me. I want you to be the focus. I want you to be the standard. And we submit ourselves to him. To submit something, right, when, when we turn something in, whether it's a, a paper or a proposal or you hit the button on a web form to submit it is to say, here, I've done this. What do you think? And so we come before the Lord and we say, here I am. Here's my life. Here's what's going on. What do you think? Someone, I'll think of his name in a moment, has said that feedback is the breakfast of champions. Now, back in the day, Wheaties were the breakfast of champions, right? Uh, Wheaties are nasty. (laughs) Wheaties are nasty. They're gross, right? I mean, there's nothing in them. It's not a delight to eat Wheaties. There's no, like, marshmallows in them. There's no sugar in them. You know, I think second only to grape nuts, they are probably the nastiest (laughs) cereal out there. Grape nuts, people are like, oh, you have to microwave them in milk. They're better. No, they're not. They taste like they're radioactive or something. But feedback, when we get evaluation, when we open ourselves up to the Lord and we say, here is my life. And then we hear him say, you need to slow down and focus on me. Or you need to increase your intake of the word. Or you need to depend more. Or you need to repent of this thing and you need to get serious in this area it's the most helpful thing isn't it because when when feedback comes when when somebody when we say to somebody hey take a look at me what do you think or hey read this what do you think and then they break out the red pen and they start marking it up can't be like hey you're hurting my feelings right you know how dare you we uh, we asked for it we, we, we asked for help, and the person who's giving you critical feedback is trying to help you. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. Because when somebody says, hey, this is the area in which you're messing up, if you change that, your performance will dramatically improve. As a young husband, I learned lessons about the, you know, the proper care of a wife. Right? You can buy her all the white chocolate you want, Sorry, not white chocolate, milk chocolate. If she thinks it's nasty, it's never going to help you. You know what I mean? You figure out she likes dark chocolate. You know, the third time she says, oh, this is nice. You know, I prefer dark chocolate. You you just keep making the same mistake over and over. You know, you only have to buy a vacuum cleaner once on Christmas to realize this is a bad, and this was in 2018, by the way. You know, to realize that was dumb and you never do it again, right? You know, oh, think, don't just grab at the, at the store. We look into the word and we look into it as a mirror and we say to the Lord, speak to me. I come to you and I ask you, what do you think? How should I change? How should I renew? 
And I think it's important that when we do that, we make sure that we're not coming to the Lord with this sense of, I am the most horrible, I am awful, I am you know, just rotten, wretched to the core. I think it's important that we remember Romans 12, 3 says this, by the grace given to me, I say, everyone among you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul is careful to say, think humbly, but he's also careful to point out here that we're to think with sober judgment. We're to take an evaluation of ourselves. We're to remember that God loves us and calls to us and draws us into fellowship with him. And that means that we need to think about ourselves the way that God thinks about us. And the good news here is that he gives more grace. Instead of coming to the word and saying, I am so horrific and so wretched and so rotten, what one or two things can I change that would make me more acceptable to you? Instead, we say, he has shown amazing grace. He has shown tremendous kindness. He has shown incredible love. How do I respond to that? He's been so good to me. How do I reflect that goodness into the world, to the people around me? How do I live in a way that honors him? Instead of of beating ourselves and feeling horrible that we don't live up or measure up, we think, I am important to God. He loves me. He called me to himself. And so we submit ourselves to him in humility, knowing that when we do, he is for us. We submit ourselves to him. We learn to manage ourselves. We face the hard truths about ourselves. Second truth is we learn to fight back. Fight back. The second part of verse 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In the first part, we learn to manage ourselves and face hard, hard truths about ourselves in the context of God's grace. Second, we learn to manage our adversary. Let me, let me point something out to you about the devil. I've told this story about this fellow who uh, I had a meeting with once, and he came to me and wanted to talk, and I was thinking, okay, he's going to tell me some crazy, horrible thing. And he says, I have a devil problem. Okay. Tell him, talk to me about that. He said, the devil is too strong. He's against me. He always, you know, he always wins. And I said, oh, you don't have a devil problem. You have a belief problem. And he got offended. <laughs> Feedback, right? Feedback. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna tell it to you straight. You have a. You have. You don't have a devil problem. He says no. The devil outwits me. He's too strong. He's too powerful. I said, but this verse right here says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You resist, and he will flee. Absolutely, positively, will run away. It is a promise from God, from His Word. And the reason that He gets the best of you is that you don't believe this word. That's why. The devil does not have absolute mastery power over your life. He is not God. He's not the evil version of God, right? The all-powerful good God and the all-powerful evil God. No, he's like the little, tiny, squealy, yippy dog punk pretending to be God, trying to intimidate you. Once, my parents took us down to... uh, to Disney, I believe it was. It might have been Disneyland. It might have been Disney World. I can't remember. We went on the haunted house ride. 
And I was at the age where I would say, no, 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 I can watch Jaws, right? And then I'd watch it and I'd be up for like the next 17 hours freaking out. And my dad would be like, why do we ever let this kid watch this movie? You know, like, go to bed. It's a movie. It's not real, you know? And, and so we were on the ride. We're on the Haunted House ride. And we get to this part as you're, you're like going uphill. And there are these crows, ravens, and they are uh, in, the, in, in the ceiling. They're all over the place. Am I back? I'm back. Hey, thank you, my child. And so just as we're coming uphill, there is this particularly wicked-looking crow with these glowing red eyes. And, and I'm like, it, it, it'll be all right. You know, it'll pass. And then the carts stop moving. And back in those days, they didn't have all the safety announcements like, ladies and gentlemen, It'll only be a few moments, right? No, instead, I'm sitting there on an incline like this, staring at this bird that's like cawing at me over and over again. And I'm like, terrified, petrified. This thing is going to come at me. It's going to peck me. You know, it's going to like pluck my soul out of my body and fly away or something, right? But, but here's, here's what happened. The longer we were stuck there, the more I realized he was just doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Because newsflash, in case you're wondering, it's not a real bird. Like, (laughs) birds don't have glowing red eyes. Like, it's a robot, mechanical thing designed to intimidate and scare me. And I can remember as a little kid being like, you know, this is after like five minutes. I'm like, come at me, you know? Like, come on. You know, you don't frighten me. That's the way it is with the devil. He is able to say, hey, look at that. Pay attention to that. Want that. Desire that. Think about that. Compromise here. Focus there. But we're the ones who invite him in to sit down and to have dinner. We're the ones who say, tell me a whole lot more about that. We're the ones who say, oh, that sounds good. Let's, let's, let's analyze and look at that more. Let's focus on that. What we need to say is, get behind me. Go away. Leave me. Because this promise here is if we resist the devil, he will flee from you. It doesn't say, by the way, overpower. It doesn't say outwit. It doesn't say outthink. We don't have to be a genius to resist. We just have to push. Because I think the truth, as revealed in Scripture, is that though he is uh, tricky and though he lays schemes... He runs away when he is resisted. What if you've messed up a thousand times? What if you've not yet figured out how to resist the devil? What if you're like, man, you know, this is the, where, this is the place where I mess up. This is why I'm a bad Christian. Here's the good news. He gives more grace. The devil will be back. <laughs> He'll come back. Temptation will happen again. He will try to tempt you again. And so you just... Resist again. You get your reps in. The more and more you resist, the easier it will get to resist. So, grow lower, resist the devil. Sorry, fight back. Number three is draw near. Verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I was thinking about this as I was... Um, 
as I was uh, putting, putting this message together, right there on uh, the keyboard is the return key, right? And the return key used to mean something else, right? You know, if you know anything about typewriter kids, years ago there were these things, you actually had to put the sheet of paper in the computer, which didn't have a power cable until they had like these ultra impressive typewriters that could do slightly impressive things, I guess. They had like correction tape in them or something. I don't, I don't know. I missed the whole typewriter thing. But what would happen is the paper would move along, you know, sorry, it would go this way, and then you'd hit the return key and it would move up a line and then, you know, the, the paper would come back. You're sitting here listening to me and you're like, I have no idea what he's even talking about. What is this? The, the computer and the printer used to be one thing. Weird. You'd hit the return key to get the thing to come back, right? Nowadays, I think the return key means new sentence, fresh opportunity. What's next? What do I do now? You know, the very next thing. It's, it's, it's next, 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 next. When we focus on humility and then we resist the devil... The next thing that we learn to do is to say, what now, Lord? What do I do now? And our instinctive response ought to be to draw nearer to the Lord. I was talking to my brother and my sister-in-law. They are both in leadership at their church in New Jersey. And as I was discussing with them, we were just talking about people and their instincts. And it seems such a shame to me in the light of the gospel, knowing what we know about Jesus and God's grace, So often the instinct when people mess up or go astray in the Christian life or they fail, somehow their instinct is to run from church, run from Christians, run from God's word, and run from God himself. Have you ever noticed this? We have this tendency, and I would say it's a family tendency, to run from God and to go and hide in the bushes somewhere, right? And so then the Lord eventually has to come looking for us and say, where are you? And we're like, we're here, covered in fig leaves, you know, buried in the pile of bushes. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says. It says, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. And because we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. In the Old Testament way of thinking, the reaction to sin was run and hide. God is going to find you and kill you. Right? That was people's way of thinking even though he displayed himself over and over as a gracious God, what we're told here is now our high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus is the son of God, and yet he sympathizes with us. He knows exactly what we're going through. We can come to the high priest and we can say, this is the temptation and the difficulty I'm struggling with, and he's going to be like, I know what that feels like. I know exactly what it feels like. The temptation as believers is to run away and to think, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been a Christian for a year. I should be over this by now. When am I going to get it right? Instead of realizing what we need is to draw close to God and to receive empowerment and grace from Him. 
We think that we're going to run to him and he's going to say, really? You haven't figured this out yet? When instead we draw near and we say, I need, I need help. I need strength. I need power. And he's going to say, come on, come over here. Let me get you what you need. What do you, what do you need? You need, you need me. Here I am. I'm right here for you. If we draw near to God, the promise is he will draw near to you. And that will become our instinct to return over and over and over again. I've wandered a little bit. Let me wander back. Wandered a lot. Let me go back. I need to turn around. This is one of those truths that I think we find over and over in Scripture is that we can turn away from God. We turn our eyes away from Him and we wander. And no matter how far we wander, if we turn back, He is right there with us. He's right there with us, ready. We don't have to go through some massive journey to find our way home like we're the lost dog in some kid's movie, you know, where you got to run across America to get reunited with your family again. Grow lower, fight back, draw near. Four is clean up. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's important to keep short lists with God. Many times, I think when we run away and we hide, we start to build up these long lists of all the reasons why God won't accept us and all the sins that we've committed and all the ways in which we have failed. And we think, man, I've ruined it. He made me clean. He showed me grace. He showed me kindness. And I've messed it up. And now how will he accept me? How can I, how can I come to him and say, I've squandered this opportunity. I've ruined it. No, the truth is you can. You can come to him and you can say, I've failed again. Sometimes it, it feels Sunday school to bring it up like this. Sunday school resumes in two weeks and you should come to adult Bible study if you're an adult or Sunday school if you're a kid um, because it's, it's a good time. It's encouraging and helpful and we learn stuff. But it feels Sunday school to say something like David was a man after God's own heart. Right. And we we tend to dwell and we say, you know, like, look, David was a was a David was a good boy and he learned his lessons. He learned that he had to trust the Lord and he had to put his faith in him. Right. And then he went down to the river, picked up five rocks, didn't put the armor on. And he and he threw the stone and killed the giant. Right. Because he trusted God. And so you should be like David. Right. That's that's what we that's what we teach our kids. Be like David. Then we get on later into his life, right? And we're like, no, 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 I'll be like David. <laughs> right? No, 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 David, no, bad news. But here's the thing. Hundreds of years after, hundreds of years after David was gone, rotten in his tomb, right? God calls David a man after God's own heart. Because even when he messed up, he handled things in the right way. He returned to the Lord. He was serious. He looked at his life and he said, I have sinned against you, Lord. I have sinned against heaven and against God. And he repented and he did the right thing. He returned to the Lord and he received grace, even though he messed up horrifically. As believers, we are always going to fight the fact that spiritually speaking, our alignment is kind of off. Right? 
If your alignment is kind of off, that means you're kind of always going to the right or to the left, right? And, and you don't need to run right over the mechanic and be like, fix my alignment. You just need to make sure that when you're driving your car, you're always kind of like this, right? Or like this. Or like this, depending on what you're doing in the car, right? Um, <laughs> do you guys know? All right, anyway. um, I like having drivers in the car every now and again. Jack will reach out and he'll like grab the wheel for me. And I'm like, get off the wheel. Um, it's, anyway. Um, what am I saying? <laughs> Clean up. Clean up. Thank you. We pray to the Lord and we ask him for his aid. This is psalm-like behavior, folks. In Psalm 119, verse 36, the psalmist prays, Incline my heart to your testimonies. Fix my alignment. Align me this way. Right? Psalm 86, 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear my name. Don't fall victim to the lie of the devil. That because you find these gnawing, nagging thoughts that you want more or you want different or you want something that's displeasing to God, that means that somehow you're defective. No, it means you're human. And he gives more grace. And he gives more grace. And so we look back at the Psalms and we look at the examples from Scripture and we learn that we need to manage our heart in the light of God's grace. And so we come before the Lord and we say, hey, here I am drawing near to you. These are the things that I've received feedback from. These are the things that aren't right. Help me clean this up. Help me clean this up. In the supermarket, right, you know what happens? There's very seldomly people roving the, uh, the, the halls or the aisles, that's what they call them, right? Saying like, hey, don't touch that. That's made out of glass. You might drop it and break it. Don't touch that applesauce, butterfingers, you know? We're just going to go all over the floor. No, what they do when something breaks is they say, clean up on aisle five, right? Someone shows up with a mop and they clean it up. We need to stop acting like we have got to get it right 100% of the time and living in fear. Constant, nagging, gnawing fear of judgment. Instead, what we do is we turn to the Lord and say, help me straighten this up. You are gracious. You accept me. You love me. You are kind to me. Please help me change and transform this. And then we do the difficult work of managing our heart. And the scripture says he gives more grace. There's a wonderful promise in Hosea 10, verse 12, where God says, plow up the hard hard ground of your heart. Now is the time to seek the Lord. We tend to think that the verse ends this way, right? Plow up the hard ground of your heart. The time is now to seek the Lord. Maybe he'll be kind to you and not burn you up with fire. But it says, plow up the hard ground of your hearts. For now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. When we purify our hearts, when we look inside of ourselves and we say, I need to cleanse my hands and I need to purify my heart, we sometimes think, man, I'm going to start confessing stuff, you know, and I'm going to be like, here's item 63, here's item 104, and then he's going to say, that's it, too much, judgment, off you go, done with you. But the scripture says he gives more grace. Clean up. 
Number five is get serious. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, I agree that the Hallmark Channel is a good thing. Okay? Somebody asked me the other night, Miss Linda asked me what my favorite Christmas movie was. And I thought, you know, and I do love The Muppet Christmas Carol. And there are some other, I like the George C. Scott Christmas Carol. It's good. He's like, he's, he's ultra cranky. You know, like you want him to be punished in that movie. Like, oh, you're a bad man. Um, and I grew up, we never watched anything. It's not the batteries. Uh, we never watched anything that was black and white. We didn't watch anything that didn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone in it, my brother and I. And so I, I did not watch It's a Wonderful Life until, you know, I was married. You know, and Nancy was like, let's watch this movie. And I'm like, it's black and white. <laughs> Nobody ever watched this stuff. It's good to watch feel good and it's good to enjoy and to pull off and off of pull out of the 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 um, just the busyness of life and to sit back and to relax. But I believe that as a generation, we are in the greatest danger of perhaps all generations that have ever lived of being numbed to death by constant entertainment. Think about it. If I had told you 20 years ago you will carry a television in your hand. You will be able to watch every episode of every show that has ever aired, right? It will be, it will be right there on your device. You'll be able to talk to every single human being on the planet. I get text messages sometimes at two o'clock in the morning from students in Zambia who are like, hello, professor. <laughs> like, we weren't supposed to be able to hear from people on the other side of the world. Like they were supposed to wait until we were up and then they talk to the operator and they get connected to us. No, now we are constantly 100% of the time connected to everything. And there are times when we just need to get serious about life. Our world is filled with noise and entertainment. And so all of the things that we've done to comfort and insulate ourselves from ourselves have a tendency of catching up on us eventually. The books, the music, the texting, all the videos. I would even argue, argue lights in our house. Have you ever had this experience, right? When the power goes out, you stand there and you're like, okay, the power's out. I've turned off the light switch. And then you instinctively, reflexively, without even thinking about it, just flip the light switch again. Like maybe the power will come on. Trust me, the refrigerator will tell you when the power's on. You'll hear it. It does that hum thing, you know? all the devices in your house start singing to you and letting you know that they're still alive. We don't like being alone. We don't like confronting our own souls. We want the, the, the noise to distract us from the fact that, that sometimes we're not paying attention to something, that, that the depth is not there. And so the encouragement here is to be serious at times. To be serious and to look at what is not right and to be grieved over it. And instead of, of laughing about everything all the time and, and saying, I just need to be happy, happy, happy. Instead, we say there are some things that are not right. We need to learn to manage our attention and our ability to ignore important spiritual truths. 
Because there are some things that cry out for immediate attention. If you don't like manage your phone well nowadays, if you don't shut, I, I, I get around my parents, right? And they are not like me. They didn't grow up with phones around them all the time. I didn't, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of focused on. I turn all my notifications off. I'm near other people, and their phones are dinging all the time. And and I'll look over, and I'm like, what is that? And it's like my mom will say, I got an email, and I'll say, from what? And she'll say, this, this, this business is going to give me a twenty percent off coupon. I'm like, your phone, you still have that on. I showed her how to unsubscribe from like every, e- every email that she got it's using unroll.me. Do you guys know this? If you get like a billion emails, you need this. You need it. It will, it will, it will improve your day. Trust me. <laughs> unroll.me. We are distracted perpetually. And there are times where we need to turn inwardly and say, am I focusing on being perfect in order to please God? Or am I focusing on managing my actions and my attitudes in order to honor him? Am I focused on the fact that there are other people around me that I need to love and engage with? Or am I just trying to check off items on my to-do list? Have I, have I relegated God to the place where he's just a list of five things that I need to do every day and I'm good with him or, or do I see myself in a relationship with him where I am on mission and I need to, to live that out each and every day. When you get serious, be sure to learn to push all the way through. Okay, because many times getting serious is just stopping and thinking, God is so good and I am so bad. Instead, keep pushing through to the point where you remember all the things that we've already talked about. That if we come to him and we draw near to him and say, hey, I'm getting serious. Help me to focus on what needs to be refined in my soul. We will suddenly find ourselves in the presence of God, the father, the good father who gives more grace. And who says, this is what we're going to work on now. So many times we just stop and we think of guilt or how far short we've fallen. And we don't think that God is there for us. So get serious, but move through to where you experience his grace. Finally, last verse, same as the first. Stay low. Verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself and he will exalt you. Interesting fact, I learned this this week. Do you know that birds, when they are in danger, they instinctively fly up? This is why they are stuck in your garage, right? You know, the bird gets stuck in your garage and you're like, hey, get out of here, right? You know, and you gently and kindly approach it with a a broom or some other object and you're like, Hey, get out of here. And what does it keep doing? It keeps going up in your attic, right? Because that's its instinct, is to fly high, to go up. And it's like, man, if you could just adjust. Bird, tough talk. I'm going to try to attack you, and you're going to flee, but instead, this time, fly low. And you're going to find this massive open door that you can get out of. You know, I've opened up everything for you. Just don't go back into my house, right? 
No, it just keeps going up and up and up. And so often, we, this is what we do. When, when we're confronted with a negative situation or we're facing disappointment or hardship or we've learned something about ourselves that we don't like, we instinctively, right, internally, we flip the switch of pride and of arrogance and we say, I'm going to fix this or I'm going to excuse myself or I'm going to justify myself and we fly high, Right? Instead of saying to the Lord or to the person who's confronted us, you know what, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'll change that. I believe that many of us still think that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, like that little bird that's in the garage, right? If we just say, hey, I'm just going to sit still for a moment. You're going to help me that he's going to smash us with that broom. That's what we think. We think that we're just going to be like, Lord, help me. And he's going to be like, I'll help you. (laughs) Right? And so we got to do it all ourselves. When the truth is, if we would just be still for a moment, he'd be like, here you go. That's what you need. Off you go. He gives more grace. Listen to what it says. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's like the greatest word, isn't it? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will give you good advice. And he will give you a little extra to help you out. And he will not destroy you. No, it doesn't say that. It says exalt you. That's like a God-related word in scriptures, right? Isn't that what all through the Christmas season we're singing, he will be exalted. And we sing uh, songs about exalting God. And that's what the angels do and the Psalms command that God be exalted and lifted up. This is not second class treatment here. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, he treats us well. He treats us excellently. He treats us with kindness and with grace. This is the good news as we seek to reset ourselves coming into 2019. Yes, you should have a Bible reading plan. You should have a praying plan. Right? A place, a time to, to handle all that. That's all good. But make sure as you do it, you don't get underneath the pile of all kinds of obligation and the weight of, of, of feeling the displeasure of God, which is not there because he is graciously oriented toward you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he shows more grace. So to sum up and to finish. Focus on growing lower, fight back, draw near, clean up, get serious, and stay low. We will all mess it up. We'll probably mess it up between now and dinner. But he gives more grace. We don't take advantage of it. Instead, we see it as an opportunity, and we live for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We need you. We need your care. We need your kindness. We need your protection from our enemy. We need you to point out the ways in which we are going astray. We need you to draw us closer to you. We need you to to pull us aside and say, hey, fix this. But we thank you that through it all, threading through it, you are good and kind. 
You treat us not according to what we deserve, but according to your character and consistent with your promises. And we thank you for that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. We ask you to show us the way forward. Lord, help us to cling closely to you in 2019. And we pray that at the end of the year, we will see that we have grown, that you have helped us and been kind to us, that you've been faithful and true to your promises. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us, Lord. And we pray this knowing that you're good. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.